Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have a throwback with Hani Ramba. Now, this episode originally aired about a year ago, but I loved it so much. I thought there was so much value, in particular about learning about bodybuilding, that I wanted to bring it back again for those of you who maybe haven't heard this episode. Hani has a wealth of knowledge. He's worked with some of the best bodybuilders on the planet, and he shares today lessons learned, talking about supplement, talking about posing, talking about competition, bodybuilding breakdown in terms of the pump, all kinds of valuable information that I took a ton away from. Hani comes from a world that I don't necessarily have the same background. He thinks about isolation when I've trained with him. Man, there's some of the toughest workouts with his technique in particular. Man, it gives you a great pump, a great results, and he's a proven track record of incredible athletes that step on stage. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. I hope you learn as much from Hani as I did. If you do, simple ask. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. It helps the show, helps the podcast, and I would greatly appreciate it. But without any further ado, let's learn about all things bodybuilding from one of the greatest on the planet right now, Hani Rambad. Let's go. Let me ask you this question. You train arguably the the top bodybuilders in the world, right? Correct. And when you think about bodybuilders, I mean, you know, it's funny in the, in the CrossFit space, I think there's this stigma about bodybuilding, or I think there's an overall stigma that, um, you know, it's not functional, this and that where CrossFit's all, but the dedication and commitment that bodybuilders have to their aesthetic looks, to their performance, to what they're actually trying to do is second to none. I mean, and so I'd love to talk through what does it take to get the aesthetic look of a bodybuilder what all is built up in this process? Because I think that a lot of people think they know, but they don't really know behind the curtain. And you know more than anybody else as the coach of some of the best ever. So I guess let's start here. What does the process look like to become a world champion bodybuilder? Well, the process starts out at, usually most of these guys are at a young age, uh, whether it's teens or early twenties, starting out with basic bodybuilding, whether they compete or not, it's really just about getting into the gym five, six days a week, hitting up body parts and bodybuilding type training, which is usually some type of high volume, um, with building their strength up and eating five to six times a day to be able to put on maximum size so that when they actually start to diet down and start taking off the body fat and they kind of go for that more shredded look to get on stage. It really is very, very impressive. It, you have that three-dimensional physique, that, that, that magazine look, that saran wrap look. Um, by the time you dehydrate, bodybuilding is one of those only sports that is considered in some people's eyes, a sport and some people's eyes, a lifestyle, mm-hmm. because it's not just training a couple hours a day, but it's also all of those things that you do around it, whether it's the cardio to try to burn the body fat, or you're eating every two to three hours to try to make sure you're keeping your nitrogen balance positive. So you ma- maximize your size and your growth or to minimize muscle loss while dieting. All of these components are so important in making sure to get the maximum look that you're looking for, that impressive Photoshop look that we always chase. So when I was, uh, you and I were talking about this a little bit, I got started in the conventional gym space. I used to work at the front desk of a health club and I used to see bodybuilders come in all the time and I would watch them get ready for their shows. And this one, I was like 16, 17, 18, and I would watch the dedication they have and I was fascinated by it. 
the because you're right it wasn't just about the buys and tries mm -hmm. it was the fact that i had this one woman she would come in and like drink vinegar to balance out i don't know if that was like a weird thing she was doing to try and balance out her ph levels mm -hmm. um and then you know other people were cutting weight like you know getting rid of salt in their diet it was really interesting to see how the overall like kind of look comes to be so when you have an event let's just say i don't know an event is in six months what does that process look like for the typical bodybuilder to build up and then cut down? Because if you looked at a traditional bodybuilder, most times of the year, they don't look the way they do on stage, right? That's them getting ready for a performance. Mm -hmm. What do they normally look like? I mean, if you saw them, would they still look jacked or would they, uh, how does that process look like? How many months out do they start training for that? Usually when a top bodybuilder is training all throughout the year. So what's happening is the only time they take a break is maybe after a show. So they'll take maybe several weeks off or maybe a month or two. Even Ronnie Coleman used to take a couple of months off and that's about it. So he would take the Olympia would be, let's say September, October after the Olympia, he wouldn't start competing. I'm sorry, uh, training again until maybe beginning of January. So he would go on a cruise, go on vacation. Some of the other guys will take maybe only a couple of weeks off. Ronnie was a big extreme and he would take several months off. But when you say off, do you mean nothing? You know, he, he was different because, you know, you know, he was eight time Mr. Olympia. Uh, I coached uh, Phil Heath seven time Mr. Olympia and he, Phil would just take a several weeks off. He would never really take a ton of time off. And when you say off, you mean off. Yeah. They'll, they'll take a couple of weeks where they won't train at all. Right. And then what they'll do is they'll go into maybe like a three or four week, uh, times a week t training split. And then they would start being able to bring up their strength and being able to bring up their training cycle, which basically means that their loads would start to, to increase and their eating habits are very, very, uh, in line with trying to build size at that point. This is what we call the off season. So we're trying to make sure to maximize building out your weak points. So if somebody needs to work on their arms or their back or their legs, what they're trying to do at that point in the off season, let's say if a competition, the Mr. Olympias are normally in, um, October, November timeframe this year, it's going to be in October. What happens is people start really hardcore training around that January time period where they're trying to put on maximum size and work on the weak body parts. And they're eating five, six times a day, but they're also eating more cheat meals. So where in contrast, the last 12 weeks before a competition, very few cheat meals doing cardio, you're at a calorie deficit to try to burn as much body fat as possible. So in the off season, you're trying to get maximum strength and size. So you normally would go up anywhere from 20 to 40 pounds over your stage weight. Now, some guys would get really extreme and, you know, lose, try to lose 40 or 50 pounds. And that's not really conducive of a good look because the fluctuation is too much, but you want to be, let's say if you're at three or 4% body fat yeah. on stage, maybe you're up to 10% on the off season, 8% to 10%. And the off season occurs, let's just say like six months before six to nine, let's say nine months before nine months. Before, and so right. when you're starting to get bigger, you, you said it best, you said five to six meals a day, some a little bit more cheat meals. Mm -hmm. And so does the training when you're in the off season, how many hours a day, what do the splits look like? So if you, if you think like traditional CrossFit, if you're competing for the CrossFit games, world championships, let's just say, traditionally my style of training would be morning like fasted aggressive cardio maybe intervals midday would be more strength and conditioning like combined mm -hmm. and the evening would be more stamina building like handstand push-ups or muscle-ups so three blocks each with kind of like a different intent does that work the same way 
for bodybuilding or am I completely off base there? Yeah, How does that work? It's, it's completely different. So, <laughs> so for, for bodybuilding, the way it works is that the, the guys are usually training only once or twice a day. Um, cardio, depending on their metabolism is, is usually minimal. Uh, and if they're doing a little bit of cardio, it's just to keep your heart healthy. And what's happening at that point is, you know, a lot of the guys are training once a day. They're only training once a day. They're putting in an hour, hour and a half. Uh, Dorian Yates was really, really um, against high, uh, long workouts, I should say, with too much volume. Um, my, they were using Menser principles, Arthur Jones principles, which was about really trying to kind of uh, pre-exhaust a, uh, a body part and then going in and going to failure. And everybody has their own training techniques. I have my own, which is called FST7 training, which combines high intensity training with high volume training. So with my training programs that I personally write, they're usually smaller body parts about an hour. The larger leg body, you know, legs are usually about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Uh, and that's with possibly just one other athlete with you for the rest periods. So what we do is we train once a day and then with a little bit of cardio. That cardio can be done in the off season, either post-workout with 20 minutes, or it could be done fasted if someone's getting ready for a maybe guest appearance and they need to keep their body fat a little body fat a little bit lower and they'll do a little bit of fasted cardio. But again, it's nothing major more than 20 minutes, four or five days a week. And it's trying to make sure you maintain a good look for photo shoots for your sponsors. Maybe you're doing guest appearances when things are starting to open back up again, people are going to be able to try to get tight and make sure that they are going out because in bodybuilding, you also make a living with being able to do appearances for your sponsors or you're doing your own private appearances as well. So here you are nine months out from the world stage and we all know what the end goal is. Makes sense. But getting there is a big process. I think you helped Mark Bell, right? Yes. So when you are preparing, you're saying, Hey, hour and a half, hour, hour and a half with your training philosophy, what you were just saying, um, do you alternate? So you said something about like smaller muscle groups and bigger muscle groups. Right. Is it like small and big or do you work both in the same day? Usually it's small and big. So that whole typical back in the day, you've heard of chest and triceps, yeah. back and biceps. It's very typical of what we do. Now, what I, the way I build it out is I always add the beginning of the work week when we're coming off of a, let's say Sunday's a, a rest day. Yep. Monday's the beginning of your work week. I always build out the weaker body parts first because I want to be able to hit those twice a week. So let's say Monday, if somebody's working on chest because they're flat through the chest on stage and you look at the prior pictures from their last competition and you see that they need to really improve that body part, we be able to, I get them to work that body part in the beginning of the work week. Then four days later, probably Thursday or Friday, we do it again. Now the workouts can differ depending on kind of, you know, the size and shape of the person. But for the most part, we want to be able to train that body part twice. Now, what we add to that body part is usually a smaller body part. So, you know, either a bicep or a tricep with a chest or a bicep and tricep with either a back or a bicep and tricep with a shoulder. So a major body part would be considered legs, shoulders, back, or chest. And then the smaller body parts are going to be maybe either hamstrings, calves, or arms. Okay. And so you know, again, this, some of this is very foreign to me, right? Um, I used to train more bodybuilding style and then I got out of it. And so I haven't been as focused on it, but when you're thinking about like bang for the buck, so you look at someone on stage or maybe you just look at someone, maybe not on stage, like you just look at me, you're like, mm -hmm. okay, I need to build up his whatever you just, you identify what you need in your athlete. And then you create a program kind of around that. Is that the way you, is that the way most guys do it? Or is there like a baseline that are, that, that you follow most of the time? And then after, 
Like, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that if someone's trying to get into bodybuilding, do they need to have a specific muscle group they should be focused on or for the most part, they could just do it all. Like they should be it really on. specific to that person. So it's if I so looked specific. at you and I go, Hey, look, Jason, um, you've always had good arms. Okay. So arms are not something I need to, but let's make sure that your back, your V taper might need to be better mm. or your quad sweep. Cause you got an itch like Mark Bell. You might have to do a show one day yeah. because you might say, Hey man, I need to see what's on the other side of that glass. Right. I want to see what the, the other world looks like because you've always been interested in bodybuilding. Yeah. I'm, right? I'm very interested in it because of the dedication. Sure. What, what really inspires me is that like, like you said, it's not just in the gym. It's, it's the hours of dedication outside the gym. And so, what I was going to ask you then is, so you have the, the other off season and you're focused on like hour, hour and a half. What is the nutrition build up during that time? So like what, what is nutrition? What do, what do meals look like when you're in the off season? So in the off season, what you're worried about is just making sure that you're on a calorie surplus. You're making sure you're getting protein every two to three hours. Um, and again, there's a formula that roughly is about one and a half to two grams of, uh, of, uh, per, per pound of body weight. Um, but if you, women and men tend to be different, uh, obviously, because if you have a, an advanced competitor, their bodies tend to run a little bit hotter. And what I mean by that is that their body will be able to absorb nutrients at a higher level. When you have somebody starting out, their body can't handle doing hundreds and hundreds of grams of carbs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, their, their body will store that into body fat faster and be less likely to use it as fuel. So what I do is I try to get a better idea of now I work with a lot of professionals, right? Not very many amateurs. And, uh, for the last five, six years since I started my nutrition company, it's been really just, I've been super focused on the athletes that we have on with that are sponsored by Evagen. And so what I try to do is when I'm building out these programs is say, okay, we are, again, it's very specific with nutrition. So I'm just going to use you as an example because, because sure. this is the best example, uh, because everyone who listens to your podcast knows who you are. So at the end of the day, you say, Hey, honey, I want to, what do you think I need to work on? And I say, I think you need to work on these body parts and you're going to be at a calorie surplus. These are your, you're going to be doing some kind of protein, whether it's going to be a chicken, it's going to be a whey, or it's going to be a steak or a fish, uh, possibly egg whites. And we're going to be able to break those up into five meals a day. And then we're going to also add in one shake, maybe post-workout. And uh, if you're able to handle five solids, great. If not, maybe we go two shakes with four solids, but in the, in the time that you're awake, Every two to three hours, you need to be eating some type of protein. The carbohydrates. And what's the number on that? Not to cut you off, but like, what's so the protein number? How would I evaluate what? What are you weighing right now? Uh, two twelve. So two twelve. I would I would have you probably around two hundred and fifty grams of protein, and I would have you at about fifty grams of protein per meal, between two fifty to three hundred on like trying to build bulk you up. And I would have you on probably about five or six hundred grams of carbs. Five or six hundred grams of carbs. This yeah. is off season referred to. Right now. Now the, now the carbohydrates, what am I consuming? Am I rice? It's going to be rice, potato. Um, it's going to be every, all the clean carbohydrates. It could be some Ezekiel bread in the off season. Um, during the contest preparation periods, everybody has their own methodologies on how they like doing a cut. I like to take away processed carbs during the cut cycle. So the last three months of the, uh, during the competition phase, but for, during the off season, all of the basic building blocks 
steak, potatoes, rice, um, oatmeal, all of those things. Um, pasta, if you if you have a gluten intolerance, and we do, like I have a lot of uh, athletes who have gluten intolerance, and we put them on gluten-free pasta, something that's got rice pasta. But those are ty- the types of carbohydrates uh, that we try to lean towards. Now, again, on the high-carb days, the 500, maybe on the low to moderate ones would be like the 200 on low and then right in, the, in between during the moderate and the low and the medium and the high is based on where you're at in the season or exactly. And how you look. So if you are starting to store and we're going, Hey, let's, let's cut your carbs back. You know, we started you at about four or 500. You know, you're starting to store a little bit. Well, you know, in your lower back or, you know, you're starting to lose a little too much conditioning, your body fat's going up a little bit too much. And everything we do, by the way, is done traditionally all by just looking at you. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not going in and doing a DEXA scan or doing it in body. Sometimes people like to do that, especially the girls. They like to go in there and, and kind of see the numbers. Yeah. You it, could just look at them and be like, Oh, this yeah, is what you need. I, I how about agree. fat? Right. Oh, well, yeah. What about fats? Yeah. yeah. So fats, absolutely. So we're putting in a lot of, so whether it's, it's the red meat, whether it's salmon, whether it's, uh, eggs that are omega eggs that we add in, um, avocado. I like to stick to food fats. Some people like to put in like MCTs, this and that. I don't, I don't, you know, if we were doing something that was more of a keto based diet, then maybe along those lines, but I don't believe in that when it comes to a traditional bodybuilding, uh, type of uh, program. So from, if I'm, if I'm gathering this correctly mm-hmm. for a guy like me, mm-hmm. 212 pounds, give or take 250 grams of protein in the beginning, yes. right? Give or take, uh, four or 500 grams of carbohydrates, yep. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And about then how about, how about a fat goal? What would a fat, you know, like? fat goals are about 20% of the overall calories. So we're, we're about 20, maybe up to 30% of and, overall. And calories. how many calories would I be looking at? Like for, if you're like a 200 pound male, uh, many- I would have to go back and, and take a look, but on the, you know, I don't have my, my, my calculator in front of me, but it probably right around about a hundred, about a hundred grams uh, of fat. Yeah. Okay. 100 grams of fat. Okay. Yeah. But again, I don't, I don't tend to measure it. Like my whole thing is that when we're getting our natural fats from like, Hey, let's do an avocado a day split up. We're doing a couple of red meat meals a day. We're doing a couple of whole eggs. We're throwing in some, you know, nut butter or some, some other things that pretty much will cover it. And then those adjustments are made by portion sizes. And then we go in now, do I go in there and I count every single macro? No, I usually, I don't need to, after 20 years of doing this with working with thousands of athletes, I don't sit there and have to like micromanage macros. I can turn around and say, okay, you know, I'm seeing what your body's doing with these four to 500 grams of carbs and with these workouts and you're doing really well, you're not storing. So it's really the, is would you say the biggest factor for the way you look Mm -hmm. based on all your knowledge over all the years is carbohydrates? Would you say? I think carbohydrates, but you, you, the most important thing is making sure that you understand how the carbohydrates work with your personal body. And the rest of it then is that if you have to go lower carbs because your body's kind of carb sensitive, then is to make sure that you have your fats because the thing that's kind of the more staple is your protein. Your protein is not going to f- fluctuate very much. It might go up a little bit higher during the dieting phase yeah, um, because your overall calorie uh, needs to be a little bit more based on making sure to man- maintain your muscle size, but you don't need to go to 200 grams per meal. Your body just can't absorb that kind of protein. You can't absorb it. Yes. And, and so from a training philosophy, you talked about like these big muscle groups. Now, yeah. if you're just starting out or, or you want to get bigger, let's just say, you know, and I, I mainly I'm referring to males just because that's who I could kind of relate to is, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get a bigger chest. I want to get bigger arms. 
but I never work my legs. Mm -hmm. That's such a common theme. Mm -hmm. I imagine for you, you've seen that over the years. I know I've seen it where you have guys that really focus on these show muscles, right? Mm -hmm. The chest, the buys. Stuff that you see in the mirror. Stuff you see in the mirror. But when, it, but there's an argument to be made that to improve what you see in the mirror, you actually need to work the things you don't see as much like you and I were talking the quads and the legs. So if you are new to bodybuilding and you're looking to develop your aesthetic appeal, how important is it to work these muscle groups that are big, but don't necessarily show up in the mirror? Oh, hundred percent. Cause you gotta remember in bodybuilding now bodybuilding is a much wider type of ex, you know, if you want to execute on a competition, you have traditional bodybuilding that wears something that's similar to a speedo. Then you have also classic bodybuilding that uses the speedos that were the same size as the guys that used to work in the seventies and eighties, you know, the way that Arnold used to wear those types of more, um, I would say the golden era of bodybuilding that they used to wear. So they're the speedos are a, a little, little bit, bit bigger, fuller, a little yeah, bit fuller, yeah. cover up your glutes a little bit more, a yep. little thicker through the sides, a little thicker through the front. And then you also have the board shorts, which is more of the, the what we call physique, right. right? The physique competition. And that's the guys that aren't really hitting poses. They, they hit a front and then a back. It's really simple. The classic does almost all of the poses except the most muscular. Um, so, and then you have the the traditional bodybuilding that hits all of the poses, everything from most muscular to ab and thigh and everything else. So when you are looking at which division you're going to be competing in, well, if you're covering up your legs, those guys don't tend to do much legs. Now, there are some that do because they might have even come from bodybuilding or they're trying to get a more complete looking physique. But it's important to do it for a couple of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Number one, your overall metabolism. Your metabolism comes from your legs. So if you don't want to train your legs your quads, your hamstrings, your glutes, then what's going to end up happening is it's going to be harder for you to get leaner because that's the driving force of your metabolism. Yeah. And you've, and you've seen this time and time again in your experience. I mean, cause I, cause I believe it too. I mean, but it's nice to hear it from you. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, no, it's clear as day. It's, it's like, clear as day. hundred percent. Right? Like, like the quad is, is the, is the, the game quads. Changing. Well, the quads and also the glutes because the quads the, and the glutes, right. The quads and glutes, I mean, hamstrings as well, because they're such big body parts. Yes. That's what your motor is. So we always, I always use this analogy that the fuel you're trying to burn is, is, is your fat, right? right? That's the gasoline. Right. And if you are wanting to burn in a pace of an eight cylinder, and you want to be able to burn as much fat as possible, you got to be able to hit all eight cylinders, which includes your upper and lower body. You got to have legs. You got to have glutes. You got to have quads. You got to have things that are going to help burn more calories, both at rest and while you do cardio and while you're training. So that's really, really important. But if you half of your body's inactive because you're not training your lower body, then you're not going to burn calories like you would if you had lower body. And then on top of that, aesthetically, you're not going to look right. So you're not going to place well if you're doing bodybuilding. Right. Then you're going to have to say, hey, look, I'm going to go and some, do a competition in men's physique, which is the board shorts. Okay. But that's still going to slow down your progress in terms of the body fat burning because of the fact that you don't have a lower body to help burn all of the excess calories. So if you, so, okay, if you could pick. Top or bottom? What would you pick to, to burn the most amount of calories from a metabolism perspective? Oh, lower body. Yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting to me, right? Because it's just, it's, it's not, it's becoming more normal conversation, but it's definitely different for a lot of guys. Most guys focus on bench press mm -hmm. and pull-ups and stuff like that, but they, you know, maybe do some calf raises, but they don't really spend their time. So while we're on this subject, and I'm very intrigued because this is very, this is super interesting to me in particular 
you and I were talking about the belt squat. Uh, you know, I'm referring to that correctly. And when I think about best bang for your buck, I think about the back squat. Mm-hmm. I think that it just stimulates muscle growth throughout your entire system. Mm-hmm. You're loading it up. And you were saying that you actually really like the, um, it's belt squat, right? Yeah. It's a belt squat. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you could pick a few exercises that you've seen for your athletes over the years and for yourself that really provide big, big bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. What are those exercises in general overall? Oh, I think that, you know, when you start looking at training and you want to say a bigger muscle is a stronger muscle. So you got to work on strength, but as you get in older, you got to be able to try to carry your load on your back. Let's say while you're squatting and without getting injured, my biggest thing with my athletes has been how to try to create a long lucrative career. That's very, um, just Ronnie's a perfect example. You know, Ronnie has that. Yeah. Body training. We've all seen it, right? I don't care if you're a bodybuilder, you're a CrossFitter. You've seen him do squats with oh, six, yeah. 700 pounds, oh, yeah. 800 pound deadlift, 700 pound deadlift, 2000 pound leg press. Strong, crazy strong. Yeah. But that load on your back is really, really, um, just indicative of, of getting injured. I mean, you are going to eventually have compressed discs, spines, all, you know, your spine starts to compress. You get a lot of different injuries. Um, a lot of guys nowadays who used to squat heavy have got atrophy in their triceps and biceps because of these crushed discs and these nerve endings that get crushed Mm. from just, and yeah, we're talking major loads here for years on years. Yes. Yeah. And so what I focused on was making sure that my athletes can be not only good in three or four years, but 10, 15 years down the road. So exercises like the rogue belt squat, you know, rogue makes a great belt squat. Pitch shark makes one. There's a couple different companies that make them. The rogue one that I'm just enamored with is been really, really good at being able to help focus on glute hamstring quad without having to bear that load on your spine. So on the biomechanics portion of it, you get the focus through your lower body without having to hurt all of the other areas in your body, especially as you get older. Yep. You know, when you're 25, you don't feel anything. You're like, right. yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get under a 500, you know, five plates and just rep it out. But when you sit there and you go, oh, I'm 40 and I'm going to go under five plates. You're like, no, I barely want to get under three plates. So, but I want to be able to, in bodybuilding, it's not how much you do. It's how good you look. It's one of the few at sports that does not require you to do what you did to get there. When you get up on stage, there's no bench press. There's no, you know, curl competition. There's no, there's no, there's no weightlifting at all, even though you used weightlifting and there's no, Hey, let me get on stage and show you how I ate seven meals a day. Right. So none of that's being shown. There's no cardio. So everything you do, you have to work smarter because you want to turn around and be able to make sure you do this year over year and try to get better. So, you got to work smarter instead of just purely working harder. And what my philosophy is, is trying to create more time under tension and load on those body parts to be able to get them to grow. So when we were working on quads, when you and I were having a conversation the other day about this belt squat machine and why I think it's good. And I think that it helps you be able to not only build your quads, your hamstrings and your glutes. And as you get older, you get that quote unquote old man ass right? And you start to lose your glutes. And this gives you the ability to do that without having to bear the load on your lower back or your neck. Yep. And that's super important because then you're more likely to do it. And what other exercises? I know we were, we were talking about the belt squat, which I think was great. What other exercises in particular do you come across that really kind of, you think are, are 
should be incorporated, right? Are we talking about cable flies? Yes, absolutely. Just cable flies. Words right out of my mouth. Cable flies, I think, are amazing. I think cable flies um, and working the different ranges of motion on cable flies, like meaning that not only your hand position should change slightly through your where, where your hands end up when, yeah. when, when you come to full contraction. So close to your upper chest, then going down a little bit. Um, I use it I even know, at the same position. So let's just say you had the rack all the way to the top. Yep. You're working here. Yes. You're working yes. Here, it's, you're a, working it's, here. it's a technique, a technique that I use. I call it la the ladder technique. Yep. And so that you're kind of going up and down the ladder through the range of motion. So therefore you'll be able to get a full contraction through the entire range of motion and not just one particular range of motion, which traditionally has always been kind of across just the, the chest. Cross. Yep. Now, so you can start from the bottom, you can go to the middle, go to the top with the actual rack, but right. then you're also saying you can make adjustments. Correct. Now, you said something that with your training philosophy, you're about time under tension. Right. Now, when you think about time under tension, are you talking about tempo? Because when I think about time under tension, I'm thinking one, two, three, pause. Correct. One, two, three. And in that case, the reason why I'm a big fan of it is you don't, I don't feel like you have to go as heavy mm -hmm. to produce a stimulus. Like the stimulus is being done through time under tension versus just one rep max heaviness. Right. Is that is that similar to what you're going for? Yes. So that's the traditional sets and reps. Then under my FSD7 protocol, my fascia stretch training, what I'm doing is actually getting them to do what's considered in a lot of people's eyes kind of like a superset, but it's not working one exercise to another but it's working seven sets with 30 to 45 seconds of rest. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to build into a pump. You're not using lightweight. You're using heavy to moderate weight with 30 seconds of rep, uh, rest. And you're using it for an exercise like a cable crossover. Yep. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to build that pump. And you're trying to make sure that the pump doesn't subside between sets. And you're taking only 30 seconds of rest. So you're constantly, it's almost like a balloon. That what we're trying to do is we're working on the aesthetics of the muscle in bodybuilding. So what we want to do is we want to try to get the rounder shoulders, the rounder pecs, the upper chest, the, you know, fuller arms. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get nutrient rich blood into that muscle and we're just forcing it in there to grow. So if you think of it as a bicycle pump, that's pumping up a balloon. And every time you stop pumping, the balloon contracts because it starts losing air. What we're trying to do is before it contracts, pump it again, pump it again to try to get it to become super pumped, right? We're trying to get it above and beyond what it was in diameter on the previous set. And you do that for with only 30 seconds of rest in between sets for seven sets. Sometimes we might cut it, you know, go down to five sets. We might, sometimes we might go up a little bit higher, but on average, it's about seven sets. So that's where like your high intensity concept comes because your, your philosophy is kind of you, you have more activity in an hour long session than the traditional bodybuilding program. Would you say? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and so you know, we talk about these cable flies, which I think are great tools and, 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 uh, you know, squats and, and whatnot. As you progress from, um, out of season to then transi transitioning in season, what does the actual volume look like for a, for a high level bodybuilder? How many hours are they now? I know that it's, it's, you know, 24 hours, 24, seven dedication in terms mm -hmm. of nutrition, sleep, recovery, hydration, et cetera. But specifically for training, how many hours are they in the gym? They're in the gym on average about an hour and a half. But some of the athletes, Hadi Chopin from Iran, yep. who um, they call him the Persian Wolf, he will go in and do two sessions because he likes to do an AMPM split. So we have him, he goes in late morning and then after a meal or two, and then he'll do a meal or two and then go back at night 
and then do another hour and a half session. So he likes to split up all his body parts because he loves to be in the gym. So there's guys that like to do that. And then there's ones that are more of the Dorian Yates approach, which like to go in once a day and do an hour, hour and a half and they're done and done and done. And you can do that either in the off season or pre-contest because remember in the, in the pre-contest, what's really happening is you're getting a little bit more tired and a little more fatigued because you have a calorie uh, deficit. So as you get leaner, you're not going to be able to handle because you're not running on three to 500 grams of carbs. Right. You're not running on four or 500 grams of carbs. You're, you're maybe what are you on, running on? You're running on anywhere from uh, 150 to 250. And, um, and this is like a, what, a couple months out. Yeah. So what happens is starting out, you might be at three or 400 and then you start to taper the carbs a little bit. Yep. And then what'll happen is you'll start to adjust fats and then your fats might go up a little bit while your carbs go down. It's like an inverse effect. Yep. And then what you're trying to do at that point is always stay at a calorie uh, deficit so that you're dropping body weight, but you're also really making sure to minimize losing muscle and just really trying to fo focus on burning fat. Yep. 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 And so when these athletes get now, ready, this is include the cardio now. So right, that's what fast, I'm ask you. That's the fasted that, cardio. So, so that's what I'm asking. I'm a you about huge believer. Absolutely. So fasted cardio. Talk to me about that. So we're saying an hour, hour and a half in the gym, mm -hmm. doing you know focusing on my back, right. for example. Mm -hmm. Is the fasted cardio an exception to that? Outside of that, or yes. is that a part of it? No, that's 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 a that's different. So we would start off typically at about 20 minutes of cardio in the morning, first thing in the morning. Are we right talking about walking? Like, yeah. It's about 130 to 140 beats. See, that's what's really interesting mm -hmm. too, because I've, I've noticed from bodybuilders, they're not going at it with like 180, 190 high intensity no. intervals, whatever. They're like going like 130, 140. Yep. 130, 140. Now, is there times where we might go up to 150, 160 and yeah. do some intervals? Absolutely. But for the most part, we're keeping it low because we, we want to minimize the your body's wanting to be able to, to break down muscle. So what we are trying to do is we're trying to just go slow and steady. And so you see a lot of top bodybuilders who just will do a lot. That's like, like stair climber. That's what the bike, what kind of treadmill treadmill, treadmill on an incline, on an incline, just going three and a half miles an hour. Yep. Just walking, walking on there, getting a good sweat, but just really waking up, taking your fat burner to try to, you know, get your body focused on being able to get your, uh, thermogenesis up. So some taking some type of thermogenic to get you going, plus to give you a little focus, give you a little kick in the pants so that right when you get up in the morning, some people will just drink some black coffee. Most athletes now will take some kind of fat burner. And that, that basically means the, you don't drink it and then go lay on the couch. You drink it so that you can get your body going to be able to burn calories. And also when you're low carb, it definitely helps when you have a caffeinated product that's going to help you get on that cardio and get you motivated. Give a little bit of energy. So let's talk about that. So from a supplement perspective, you own a supplement comp, uh, company, mm -hmm. right? Evagen. And you guys have had incredible success in the bodybuilding space and, and other mm -hmm. areas too. Mm -hmm. If you had to give, and I'm, I'm kind of asking at a high level, I know like, what, but at a high level, what supplements, if someone really wanted to get the aesthetic look, mm -hmm. What supplements would you recommend, if any? Right. Well, obviously, I'm a huge believer in supplements. <laughs> huge believer in supplements. Right. Because now, especially now more than ever, it, they work. They really help. They help you with soreness. They help you with blood flow. They help you with all of those things. It help you with being able to burn more body fat because not, again, not to drink a fat burner and then you're going to get lean, but help motivate your ass to get on that cardio, to be able to take your body temperature up a little higher to burn a little bit more calories. And also it also helps slightly cut back your appetite. So mm. therefore you're less likely to binge eat. So the fat burners, a piece of the puzzle. Correct. What other pieces are there? So then you'd normally would be a typical fat burner in the morning before cardio. Then before training, 
pre-workout. It could be caffeinated or non-caffeinated, depending on what the personal preferences of the person. Uh, so if somebody's super, you know, most bodybuilders aren't, aren't affected by stims too much. So they want something caffeinated. Right. Cause they're, cause some people get a little kind of uh, jittery, right? Totally. So yeah. they're the ones that just want the blood flow flow portion, but not the actual caffeine stimulant portion. So, um, I make both. So I have one that's caffeine free. And then that has all the blood flow agents and focus factors. And then I have one that also contains caffeine that's going to help with giving you that kick. So you have both. So depending on what your personal need is, just like some people like coffee, I'm sure in CrossFit. Yeah, people, I love coffee. Yeah. You yeah. know, people want coffee before they train. Right. So it's just a stronger version of coffee. Sometimes you're using different, as you're formulating, we're using different forms of caffeine to make things either time released, kick a little faster, a little harder, make sure there's no drop off afterwards. So there's no quote unquote crash. But the things that really help are the nitric oxide inducing um, elements. So um, the nitrates, the citrulline, all of those things that really help with blood flow. So you want the mass, massive vasodilation so that you get more blood to the muscle that you're training because we're all about the pump. If you ever looked at Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the 70s yeah. when he did pumping iron, he says, you know, it was like coming. It's like training is like you're going for the pump. Right. What he's talking about is that massive blood flow that we're looking for in bodybuilding that are going to help shape the aesthetics of your physique. So whether it's capped shoulder, whether it's those full arms that you naturally have, you didn't go in there and do bodybuilding workouts. I mean, you might've done when you were younger, right? Yeah, I did bodybuilding. You know what I think helped is I, I tore my ACL and MCL when I was in high school. Playing football? And I wore, playing football. And I, and I was on crutches for like three, four months. And I think I worked my tricep a lot. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. You <laughs> got some my, good triceps. That's, that's my theory. Um, but so you have the fat burner. Right. You then your you have your pre-workout. Correct. And then you have your post-workout. Well, no. And then you have your intra. So we drink some things oh my during. Yeah. Because remember, it's a science for us. We're trying to always maximize recovery and enhance muscle building. So during the workout, EAAs, essential amino acids. Yep. So you want to be able to run those essential amino acids during the workout. Um, I make one. And this is pre, this is like. Not to cut you off, yeah. I apologize, but this is like when you're getting prepped for a competition. This is this is even in the off season. Yes, you're, you're this thinking. is going the same thing is going on in the off season. The only difference is sometimes we add in these carbohydrate powder. Oh, to to, to help yeah, enhance. To help enhance yeah, because you're not going to be able to always eat 500 right, grams of right, carbs, right, right, right? right? You're going to be like, right. God, that's a lot of potato and rice. Right. So we can easily you know, substitute a hundred grams of carbohydrates with literally just like three or four scoops of, 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 of a carbohydrate powder and it dissolves in eight ounces of water. So it's super easy. It's super digestible. It's really, really nice because you don't have to eat so much bulk. Yeah. 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 By the way, we're at, we're at our gym and, uh, I keep having to get up and change. <laughs> we have light sensors in here. And so, okay. So now you have your, your, your essential your amino acids during Essential amino acids during, right, and then you have your post-workout protein shake. Correct. And Correct. within how much time do you want this post-workout protein shake? Literally before they leave the gym. Most of you're the time, consuming yeah, it. you're consuming it right before you leave the gym, or if you live close by, you get it in right away, right when you get home. And then you're having your first solid meal within about an hour of that. So what happens is they're having a fast-absorbing isolate. You know, isolate's the fastest-absorbing uh, whey protein out there. And that is being consumed, um, 25 to 30 grams. If it's a woman, about 50 grams, if it's a male, um, guy, your size would be at 50 grams, two scoops. And they're taking that right after they train. And, and do, do you like it with water? Do you like it with milk? 
off season, we, we use different things. Um, usually not so much milk because milk can get you a little bit of GI rest. Yeah. yeah. Bloating and everything else. Um, but we usually add in anything that's going to add extra calories. So if you're putting a vanilla protein, we can add a little bit of juice in there. Um, they're adding in some, sometimes, you know, the carbohydrate powder. Yep. So I make a product called glycoject and, um, that has, uh, it's a potato starch. That's also rice, potato and corn starch. That's been added in that's ran through a centrifuge and it really helps with being able to get a really good absorbing carbohydrate in your body in a very short period of time. So if you were, you know, if you go to the EvoGen website and you're, you know, a traditional, let's just say you're a CrossFit athlete. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the sake of argument, what do you think if you're not necessarily interested in bodybuilding, but you're interested in the science behind bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. So what bodybuilders are the best in the world at, I think is understanding how inputs impact the way your body looks. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, maybe not from a performance perspective, like, you know, from a traditional sports perspective, like the Olympics or whatever, but from the way it looks, no one's done it better than bodybuilders. Right. I mean, that's the sport, right? Right. So what do you think like a traditional crossfitter, what should they be? Should they be thinking about like these fat burners? Like if you had to pick like one thing that they should be thinking about, what would it be? I would say, honestly, the, the intro workout. Intra workout. Yeah. So something that they're sipping, the essential amino acids. Uh, I combine mine with coconut water, coconut powder water, yeah, to help with hydration as well. And so the essential amino acids really help with making sure that you're not catabolic. So I like that because you can take it intra, you can take it pre, you can take it post. Um, like I said, in bodybuilding, we're already taking a pre. So we, we sip on this during the workout, these essential amino acids. Yeah, yeah. So I think a CrossFitter would do really well with being able to run and essential amino And it's not amino- super heavy, so you should just be able, yep. Absolutely. And, and so that's really interesting because like, let's just say they have an hour, two hour long session. Mm-hmm. You think that would be the go-to. I think yeah. that would be go-to because you have the hydration complex in there. And then you also have, you know, the, the fundamentals of being able to make sure you stay anti-catabolic complex, which is the essential amino acid. So when you talk about catabolic complex, anti-catabolic, is anti-catabolic, anti-muscle breakdown is basically it. We're trying to make sure to minimize muscle breakdown and at the that, moment, at the moment. So we because want to be able post to, workout. You're going to have breakdown. You're going to have it, some breakdown, but that's when you want to either, if you do do a shake, if you want to do like a typical bodybuilder and do a shake afterwards, or if you want to go right into a meal, that's where your recovery starts to occur. Exactly. So basically you want to delay the breakdown of muscle as long as you can. Right. Until right after that session, then you're hitting it with the protein. Exactly. Super. This is super interesting. So now I want to shift gears um, for a minute to just prepping for a competition. So from my, you know, brief knowledge, right? It's, it's a lot of water consumption for a long time, mm-hmm. then very little water consumption and increased salts, uh, or excuse me, removing salts. Right. So... Removing, Can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, so the typical, you know, the last 30 years, a lot of people think, hey, look, you just want to completely get rid of salts. And now there's some different types of everybody. Again, every quote unquote coach has their own methodology. I'm a huge believer in making sure to cut back the salts, but not cut them out completely. And what I like to do is because we want to make sure that you don't end up going into like a situation where you start cramping yep. and you start end up losing. Because your the theory of getting rid of salts is that your body won't doesn't want to retain as much water, Correct. so you look more lean. Right. But then if you take away too much salt when you're on stage, from my understanding, that's a very difficult um, process on stage. You go through a lot of tension. Right. And that's where people can cramp, huh? Correct. 
you can cramp up and you're also cutting your water back. So you're already dehydrating in a couple of different ways. One is cutting water back, you're, you're tapering your water. And then you're also, if you start playing with your electrolytes too far, too much, and, and too, a little too far in advance, you can end up having a lot of cramping issues the last week. And that's where you have to really know what you're doing when you start to play around with the water and the electrolytes. And then when you're actually on stage, how long is someone on stage for traditionally? Well, it depends on the on on the level. If you're an amateur, you're on stage for usually just no more than a couple of minutes. Professional is a lot longer because people are paying thousands of dollars to go watch that person. Oh, you're see, so this is all new to me. So if you're an amateur and you just go to like San Jose bodybuilding comp, you know, competition, competition mm-hmm. you're on there for like let's just say three minutes, going through a variety of different poses. Correct. Like front pose, back pose, this pose. So that there's pose. two different there's two different sections to a competition. There's what's called a prejudging, and there's also a finals. The prejudging is usually in the morning where they're actually comparing you to um, the people next to you. And they're basically, the judges are comparing and saying, um, this person is in the middle. We think he looks the best. Usually the person is in the best that put in the middle. And then the, the person's on the left and the right. They're flanking that person. They're trying to say, hey, okay, who in this top three from the center to the left to the right are the guys that are the most complete, the most ripped, the, you know, that has the best balanced physique for that particular division. Then what ends up happening is the judges are taking tallies and scores and saying, this is who I'm voting for as being the first guy that should be first in that, in this division. The second guy should be the guy on the right. Okay. Number 26. I'm going to make him my second. The guy on the other guy, I think, you know, on the other side of him should be third. Then the other one is fourth or fifth. And then, so they'll rank the, the call out, which is those first five or six people in numerical order from first all the way to like fifth or sixth. Yeah. Then the head judge will then move them to the side and then they'll bring in the guys that would be respectively sixth through like 10th or 11th. And they'll keep doing that in groups of five or six, five to seven until all of them are being compared for that division. Different groups. Right. So that you're, you're being compared to people who are in similar. They're all in the same division. Right. But what they're doing is they're saying, we're going to compare the top five guys and we're going to move them around a little bit. And we're going to get them to all do poses, and they're going to comp- they're going to compare the front double bicep, the back double bicep, the side chest shots. So, like, if Jason, you're on there, and they say, "Wow, Jason's got a really good front double bicep, but he's a little weak from behind. This other guy's got a little bit better back, but he's got this." And then the, what they're starting to do again, it's very arbitrary. It's not like you, weightlifting where you just pick up the weight yeah, and you yeah, drop it, and you go, yeah. that, you know, or how many do, who does more reps or right. who does you know more weight. It's it's much more uh, subjective. Right. So, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is look for balances who has imbalances. If somebody has this crazy upper body, but you don't have maybe 80% of that person's upper body, but you have lower, better legs, you will beat that guy because it needs to be balanced from top to bottom, left to right, front to back. So at the end of the day, they're doing the compulsories or the prejudging in that morning time stint. Then when they're done with that weight class, then they bring another weight class and they go all the way up to the heavyweights. Right. And then they have the different divisions. The women will have the bikini all the way to bodybuilding or physique or figure, all the different divisions of muscularity. The men will have the different divisions of muscularity from the men's physique to classic physique to, um, to the open. Uh, again, that goes by the different, what, what they wear and the poses they hit. Then they come back at night, usually uh, starting off at maybe between 5 and 6 p.m. And then they'll do kind of more the theatrical portion of the show mm. where they'll do the music. And they'll have uh, the amateurs, or I believe it's about a minute, 
minute and a half for, for amateurs. I think it's about a minute. And this is where they're kind of just going through the flow. Right. So they'll have some kind of music that they'll bring and then they'll choreograph a routine hitting their, their different uh, poses that they think that they look their best in. And then after that, the awards come out. And then if you win your division at that moment, they'll do an overall between all the weight classes and they'll say the heavyweight, let's say you're a heavyweight and then there's a light heavyweight, a middleweight and a lightweight. And then the best of class. So basically you, you guys are all competing against each other. And if a really small, like let's say a lightweight guy, he's super ripped is just super impressive. He could win the overall. Right. And, and that's how it works. And you've been watching this for years. Oh God. I've been can, in this industry for can you 30 plus years. Consistently look at someone and be like, okay, the judges did a good, like in general, do the judges do a good job? Absolutely. Yeah. In yeah. general. Yeah. There's always like a, oh, of course you're going to have your exception to the rule, but in right. general, most people, most of the time can look at him and be like, oh yeah, no, he won. Exactly. Like 100%. Ronnie Coleman, he should have won that yeah. as an example. Yeah. Now, are there going to be some favorites where, especially with some of these guys that are really yeah, they're, close, they're really, really pro guys, right? Th yeah. Those guys, or, or let's say it's an amateur and there's a random guy that just, man, that guy should have been, that guy should have been in the top two and he was fourth or fifth. And they, they might've just missed him that day. You know, maybe they just, or, or maybe he just wasn't posing properly and the judges cannot take what you, they think that you're going to look like if you post correctly and if you don't. So you actually have to make sure you display your physique in the proper manner. Yeah. That's a great question I have for you. So how much time do you spend with your athletes on posing? Because well, my athletes, I don't have to very much because they're, they're, all my pro. guy, they're all pros. But, but, <laughs> they're, but, but that's but, a great point because you're saying, Hey, that guy, he's, he's, he's number one. Yeah. But today he posed like crap. Yeah, like let's say Hadi Chopin, okay, the Persian yeah. guy. That he's a, he's a beast, right? Um, from Shiraz, he trains like a power lift, like a power bodybuilder, because he he trains heavy. He does like walking lunges with three plates, and I mean he's just a beast. And Hadi is very very dramatic with his posing. He hits the vacuum. He opens it up. He really um, he does things to the beat of the music because he's also. Uh, hearing impaired. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's hearing impaired. So, so he has to feel the bass of the music and he has to watch the guys next to him when they're getting ready to com do compulsories and during the prejudging because he can't always hear what's going on depending on frequency. So he has, you know, two hearing aids in, um, they work okay, but he has this de degenerative hearing problem that's hereditary. And what it's doing is it's just getting worse and worse. So he has to walk, look at the guy doing a frontal bicep next to him. So he knows that it's supposed to be a but frontal bicep. But all the bicep. judges know what's up. And so they know that he's... Yes. They, but they give him like an extra second or whatever. To get of course him. they do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And he's, again, he's you, you, if you didn't know, you probably couldn't tell because he looks at everybody right away. And if they're hitting a frontal bicep, he knows, he knows to hit it too. He knows to hit it too. Right. Yeah. But he listens during his evening posing routine. He listens and he feels the bass. And then so he hits everything to the oh, bass drum yeah. and, and he's super good at it and he's better than the other guys that can listen and can hear yeah, because, he feels it. because he feels it. He literally feels it. So he's very emotional with his routine. And even though the routine per se in bodybuilding doesn't count, it's more theatrics. Um, most of the judging is all done, especially on the amateur side during the morning pre-judging. What it does do is it really gives you a sense of just, uh, just this artistic form of being able to really appreciate the, the human body. Right. Yeah. And so how long are the pros on stage for at the evening? So depending on the show, like at the Olympia, I believe it's a three minute routine. And then, so that's the evening three minute routine. And then they have different compulsories at night as well that are on top of the ones that they do in the morning. And how long do you hold each flex for? 
oh God, they can have you do it for about 10 or 15 seconds. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, well, you're not, not peak only that. tension. Right. So you're peak tension for 15 seconds and then they turn around and say, okay, another pose, another pose, another pose. And then they'll turn around and say, okay, back to the front again. And these guys are just getting winded. I mean, they're... Because at that point, they're you're just dehydrated. Fatigued. You're fatigued. You're dehydrated. You're under the hot stage lights. Um, you're just you're depleted because of the fact that you've just been killing yourself for the last 12 to 16 weeks. And then on top of that, you are getting then put onto the side of the stage. Then the next group comes out, but then they go, you know what? The judges want to look at that group again from the first group, bring yeah. those guys out again. And these guys are just like, Holy shit, we got to do this all over again. How about flexibility? Like are these guys as unflexible as I think they are? Most of them. Yes. Some of them. No, the guys that really did a good job, Ronnie, even um, you'd see him stretch uh, before and after training, mostly after training. And he would you know, be able to put his chest right onto his knee. Right. And he would just right on his quad and he would be able to, to, to lean forward. He, you know, I've seen him on do uh, splits on stage before. Um, so the more flexible they are, the better they are at being able to heal up from minor in injuries yes. and the better the recovery is. And honestly, the better their just the more muscular, it they looks become. lengthier. Like it, it, it lengthens the muscle a little bit. It, I don't know how much that you can actually prove that it lengthens the muscle because some people just have shorter muscle bellies yeah. and it's just, you know, or shorter limbs, but does it have an effect in their overall aesthetics because they're able to get better contractions? Yes. You know, so active, um, active therapy is super important and that includes like massage, yeah, like deep tissue, deep work. tissue, ART. Yeah. I mean, foam rolling constantly like having, I mean, between training and doing squats and doing cardio and doing all of the other, you know, ancillary work, then posing the posing for the guys is on average about 20 to 30 minutes a day of posing. And some of the guys can be lazy about it and they, they don't do a lot of, of that. And you can tell on stage because they're just not very, they, they don't have that, that conditioning. Yeah. Cause you're fatigued out. I mean, right. dude, even just sitting here trying to like flex my bicep for 15 seconds there is you hard, you know, imagine right. hitting the whole system. So you got to come and do an FSC seven workout with me because I'm, we actually flex in between the sets, even with the short rest periods. So I need to do that. We need to go and we need to train and so one of the things that Hani and I've been discussing a little bit is using dumbbells, using equipment that you traditionally find in more of a functional training gym to get this type of pump. Because when I think about it, you know, it's like, okay, you hit your pec fly, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And then you're saying, okay, so I'm hitting my pec fly for, let's just say, um, you were saying 30 seconds, right? Well, no, you're or 30 you're, seconds rest. rest. So you're doing, let's say 10 to 15 reps, and then you're doing a 30 second rest. Then you're doing 10, 15 reps and you're doing that with but, seven sets. But in but between during that sets, 30 seconds, what am I doing? Going you're like flexing, brother. Because I'm trying to pump as much into the system as I can. Right. And you're creating more time under tension by keeping those static holds. So you're basically, you're creating the, that just you're under time under tension through mu muscular flexion and contraction. And then what you're doing is, so it's basically whatever you stop doing during the exercise, you're continuing through flexing. So it'd almost be like the equivalent and correct me if I'm wrong. Let's just say you're bench pressing with a uh, 500 pounds, mm -hmm. whatever. Then you get off and you'd almost be bench pressing with like a PVC pipe or performing the, are you performing the range of motion or just in the flexed pec position? Just in the flex position. 
So when you see those guys in the gym who are just flexing in the mirror, yeah. it's because they're trying to keep pumping or yes. is it because they just want to see what they look like in the mirror? Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> but, but, but again, ever since I started making it more and more popular and we've been kind of uh, just documenting it in the last 10 years of, of that, making sure to flex between sets to create even more time under tension. Um, it's something that if I've, I've incorporated in my own sets and rhythm and how many seconds and everything else. Um, people have been doing it for many, many years, but I've been just being able to create these programs because I work with everybody remotely. 99% of my clientele didn't live in the Bay area. You and I live in the Bay area, but you know, Phil Heath lives yeah. in Denver. Jay Cutler lived in Las Vegas. I have, you know, athletes in Australia, in Europe, in middle East. So I was trying to find ways of creating more intensity and in doing it remotely because when I'd get together with these guys, you know, in Dubai or wherever I would meet them, I'm like, holy shit some of these guys just don't create enough intensity. How do I do that while being 4,000 miles away? And you just ask him to flex in between those sets was a, a step in that direction. That was right. Dude, exactly. I, I'm super intrigued by this conversation because I've dedicated a lot of my life to fundamental strength conditioning, CrossFit training. And, you know, I've been doing jujitsu for a long time and those sports are very dynamic. They're very, you don't really talk about the aesthetic look. You mm -hmm. really don't. It's, it's a byproduct of your performance and your training. But the, the aesthetic look like what you're talking about is, is very exciting for me. So I, I would love to do one of your workouts. Um, we should definitely do that. Film it, share it. Sure. Um, but I, I did want to ask you, in the future, if someone wanted to train with you or your team, is there a way they could do that or not yet? Not yet. I'm, you know, I've, I've been, I've had a seven-year waiting list right now for the last 10 years. So what I'm doing though, is I'm trying to create a platform where I can be able to connect with more people because obviously I have a lot of people that follow me throughout the bodybuilding community around the world and, uh, they can go on to honeyrambod.com, uh, and they can sign up and oh, then for the like email list to get yes, ready. So okay, that so when I do so, launch something, then right. they'll be able to be first at it. So you can go to your website, which mm -hmm. we could link. Mm -hmm. And then how else they get to, you know, they could go check out your YouTube, check out your Instagram. Yep. Is that kind of best place? Yeah. YouTube, Instagram. And then if they want to know anything about the supplements, they can go to evagenutrition.com on the supplements. I'm, I'm intrigued on, um, the, the, uh, amino acid. Was it? Yeah. Um, it's amino chem, which is the essential amino acids during training. That's really, uh, I haven't had anybody really refer to that or talk about that. And I wonder what impact that would make, especially for longer CrossFit style sessions. So, um, because well, your average long, uh, session is what thirty minutes or forty five minutes? Well, if you like, like the well, it depends. So, like what I did today, I did some strength, which mm -hmm. took me like let's just say thirty minutes. Okay, and then I did a conditioning like Metcon they call it, which is like strength and conditioning, which took me another let's just say twenty minutes. But most of my workouts fall somewhere between twelve and twenty five minutes of high intensity mm -hmm. plus strength outside of that, unless I'm doing jujitsu. So, and that's back to back. That's back to back. Got it. Got it. And then um, you do your jujitsu. Like this morning, I did jujitsu at 7 a.m. And then before you got here, I did a strength workout with some um, kettlebell. And then I did a, a muscle up thruster workout was the actual workout. Now, the workout today only took me 10 minutes, mm -hmm. but it's high intense. It's, it's hard. Right. And so I'm continuously burning afterwards. Right. But I wonder, I don't know if I, in the middle of a 10 minute workout, if I would need to pump something, but it would be interesting between your strength and your conditioning piece, if mm -hmm. incorporating this would have an impact. It'd be great to try it. And in jujitsu too. I mean, jujitsu, cause you're, you're typically working technique for like 30 minutes to an hour. And then you're doing another 30 minutes of like rolls. So that could be really interesting to try too. Yeah. Cause we had, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot with, uh, Javier Mendez from AKA. Yeah. And he's a really good, close personal friend of mine. And 
<laughs> he sells some of my products at, at, at AKA. And the funniest thing about it was that when they were taking the, the jujitsu guys were taking the pre-workout that helps oh, with blood flow getting too jacked up. They were getting too jacked up Yeah, because what was happening is they couldn't even choke people out because their arms were getting, too just, just too pumped. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because he's like, Hey bro, we got to try something else. And then we switched them up to the essential amino acids and, and things for on pure recovery that didn't have all the blood flow agents in it. Because again, they're not looking to get super pumped up. They're not, they're, they're looking to, for something where it's going to hydration and hydration. Right. So evagen. EvagenNutrition.com. EvagenNutrition.com. Love it, man. Well, hey, dude, we could record like 4,000 more of these. We need to get in a training session, but uh, thanks for the time today. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me.